When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's coaching coordinator podcast from the archives is with Robbie Disher, who is the special teams coordinator at Louisiana. The Raging Cajuns are doing a great job here in 2020. They're now undefeated at 3-0. And Robbie did a great job at Toledo with special teams also at Oklahoma State. During his tenure there, he was named the football scoop special teams coordinator of the year. This is one you're definitely going to enjoy. A lot of attention to detail here from Coach Disher. And again, stay tuned for new episodes coming up. We've been sprinkling them in. We had a great one the other day with Hal Mummy and a Q&A with Mike Leach. Be sure to check that one out if you missed it. We'll have our Ed series, which started last week. We're going to talk about some analytics and some decision-making. And again, we're going to ramp this thing up so that on November 1st, we're going to have uh, five full days, a week of new content news and more about that coming soon enjoy the podcast welcome to coaching coordinator podcast we continue our series with college leaders in statistical categories and we have one of the best this year in the fbs or the best i should say in blocking punts blocking kicks they are top in return yardage top 20 in average return the university of toledo and their special teams coordinator and tight ends coach Robbie Disher. Robbie, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot for uh, inviting me. Looking forward to it. Coach, before we get into all these things you're doing to excel on special teams, I want to talk a little bit about your, your journey into coaching and you know what drove you to become a football coach and where did you get your start? Well, I, I, I always knew growing up that's what I wanted to do and be around the game. I always knew I wasn't good enough to play for very long, so kind of coaching is the only way I guess I could stay in it. From Kansas City, born and raised, Kansas City, Missouri, to North Kansas City High School, and then played small college football at William Jewell, which is right up the road. You know, wasn't wasn't a good player or anything, but was on the team. And then from there, I uh, my first job was at Kearney High School under Greg Jones, who's now the head coach of Liberty North. You know, learned a lot of football under him phenomenal dude, phenomenal coach. You know, he's won multiple state titles. From there, I got on as a graduate assistant at Sam Houston State down in Huntsville, Texas. I was mm-hmm. lucky to work hand-in-hand uh, hand with Coach Fritz, who, in my opinion, is the best special teams guy there is. You know, he's now the head coach at Tulane. You know, everywhere he's ever been, he's run his own special team. He does the meeting. He does everything, calls it, and you know, those guys are really, really good everywhere he's ever been, whether that's Central Missouri or Bullen Junior College, Sam Houston State, uh, Georgia Southern, Tulane. They are always really good. And, uh, you know, that's the guy who I uh, learned most from about it. And I think if you sat in his meeting and or you sat in a Toledo special teams meeting, they probably sound pretty similar. So, you know, 90% of what we do is kind of stolen from him. 
Uh, I end up being there for four years, two as a GA, two as full-time coach. And then from there, I went to Oklahoma State as a GA, uh, kind of a unique deal. Coach Gundy has a grad assistant run the special team. So I was lucky to get that opportunity. And, you know, we had some success there. And it's pretty easy to have success when you got Tyree Kill as your returner. It's hard to screw that one up. Um, and then from there, I was lucky enough to get, get on at Toledo under Coach Candle. So just about to finish after this bowl game, our third season here. So really appreciative of the opportunity he's given me and my family. and Love it up here. Yeah, and at, at Oklahoma State, you uh, won the honor of Special Teams Coordinator of the Year in 2014, pre- presented by Football Scoop. And I think what's u- unique about those awards is, you know, those nominations come from your peers. You know, it's not a, a media-based award, and I think, you know, those probably have the most value. So you've certainly made uh, an, an impact in, in, in your coaching with what you've done in Special Teams. I appreciate that, but, you know, to be honest with you, it's, you know, players make coaches look good, and, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, it's hard to screw it up when you got Tyreek Hill as your return, no yes. matter what level you're at, so, I mean, you'd have to try to screw that one. <laughs> coach, you mentioned uh, some of the guys who have made uh, an impact on who you are as a coach, and, you know, thinking of, of all those things you've learned al- along the way, what are some of those key lessons, I guess, that have helped you in your development and really become part of who you are as a coach now? Well, you know, one thing that Coach Fritz used to always tell me, be who you are, don't try to be somebody else. You know, players will, uh, you got to be genuine and you got to be who you are and be who you are every day to the best of your ability. And that's something, you know, Coach Fritz would always advise me of. And yeah, to be honest with you, I, you know, I've I've been four different places in my career, and, you know, I'm not saying it because I have to. I'm saying it because it's true. Everywhere I've ever been, the head coach has just been phenomenal. Like, you look in the state of Missouri, everybody knows who Greg Jones is. He's one of the best to do it, and I learned a lot from him. And, you know, just base football stuff. That was my first year coaching, and said Coach Fritz has been kind of my main mentor through this whole thing. And, you know, probably learned more football from him than anybody else I have. And then, you know, Coach Gundy is what thing I like about him is he is who he is and that's who he's going to be. And he's done a phenomenal job there. And, you know, he's a, you know, really good football coach and he's involved in every phase too. You know, people just think he's an offensive guy, but he was very involved in special teams and defense and he does a great job. And, uh, cause I was a GA at Oklahoma State. I also, you know, helped with the receivers. I learned a ton from, uh, Coach Dunn as well you know, one of the best to do it, in my opinion, you know, just holding kids accountable and having a high expectation and holding them to that expectation. You know, he's, he's been great for me, just X and O's wise and fundamentally, but just how he, the relationships he had with the players. And obviously I've learned a lot from, you know, Coach Candle as well. And one thing he always preaches is player relationships. You know, they don't care what you know or how much you know until they know you care about them and that's got to be genuine and something i believe in wholeheartedly as well but uh that's kind of one of the pillars of our program at toledo is player relationships and you know that's more important than anything else if you got you know genuine relationships with them and they're they got genuine relationships with each other you'll be able to achieve a lot 
you know, in, in talking to Coach Candle uh, on the podcast previously and, you know, knowing some of the assistant coaches on the staff, having coached against Mike Hallett, for example, and, um, you know, talking about a co- couple of Mountain Union guys there, there's certainly that influence there. But one of the things I- I've seen consistently on this coaching tree that all these guys belong to is that guys really want to be on their coaching staff that you don't necessarily see a lot of turnover Mm -hmm. on those coaching staffs, you know, coach Candle, coach Campbell at Iowa state. I don't know what it is. I've seen, seen those staffs at like one days and stuff. And there's just kind of a camaraderie you see there that maybe you don't see everybody else. What's it like in in being part of this staff and, and maybe some of the things that are, you know, special about being on the Toledo rocket staff. Well, it goes back to what I was saying, Coach Candle's main belief is, is relationships are number one. You know, first off, he's a good person. And obviously his success, you know, as a head coach and a coordinator before that, numbers and recruiting and all that, they speak for themselves. But biggest thing in why you were talking about people stay is you, you're going to win. You're working for a really good football coach. And more importantly, you're working for a good guy. Not everywhere is like that. I've been lucky enough. I've worked for good guys, but, you know, you hear stories of other places and kind of how their head coach is like, and you know, and you're working for a good guy. And I've heard that about all the other, you know, Mount Union guys as well. I haven't really met a ton of those guys unless they've been on staff with them. But, you know, you hear the same thing, just good people, and he hires good people. And really hasn't been a guy I've worked with at Toledo who I just, who I didn't like or didn't respect continues if somebody leaves to hire a good person. And yeah, I think that's, that's uh, very important. And guys that are going to work hard, care about each other and as well as their players. And he's hiring guys with like-minded beliefs as himself. And uh, I mean, the results of it in, in having that kind of, of a tight knit group are seen on the field. You guys are having some, some really good success there really stretching yourselves in, in, in far a, as far as the uh, competition you're playing, starting the season off second game with with the U, you uh-huh. know, bringing them to Toledo and then going to Nevada and Fresno State and, and you know, and then, and then the MAC, I mean, is competitive in and of itself. So uh, you guys there aren't afraid of, uh, you know, playing anybody, really. I mean, you guys, whoever it's been, you've, You've been in those games. You're competing. Um, the attitude, how much of, of that, you know, looking at, uh, you know, that idea of not really caring who you play, you're going to go out and compete. Mm-hmm. How, mu- how much do you have to drive that with the players versus, uh, you know, those guys really being those kinds of guys that you bring in recruiting? I know you're on the road right now yeah. driving, but um, how much is it uh, about bringing in the right guys? Because you guys do an excellent job recruiting there versus um, – you know, some of the stuff you guys do as a coaching staff as well. What's the mm-hmm. what's the percentage? What's the mix of that? Well, a lot of that is, like you were talking about, guys rising on occasion and stuff. I, that's part of your job as a college coach is your right guys and guys that love football and are physically and mentally tough and guys you don't have to chase around to get to class and stuff like that, you know, accountable guys. And, I mean, obviously talent too. I mean, that's the most important it's but you got to recruit guys that are going to fit in character wise as well and you were mentioning you know we play in Miami and some of those other schools and 
you know, we got a lot of Florida kids on our team and Miami recruited them. They probably wouldn't be at Toledo. There's always a chip on their shoulder a little bit there. Our guys, they'll play hard regardless of who you're playing, whether it's school they feel like they should beat by 50 or school that everybody's picking to beat us. So it's, they'll play hard and it starts with the recruiting. You got to figure out and recruit the right guys, not only talent wise, but personality wise too. And luckily at the college level, you get to choose for the most part, pick your players the development of that uh, when they get here. you got to do a good job of that as well and holding them accountable and, you know, on and off the field. And that way, you know, you can kind of get guys to be accountable off the field. They'll be accountable on the field. And uh, another thing, too, is that's big is player ownership. You know, you get those guys to buy into what, what you're doing and program and the expectations. And then when they start holding each other accountable for those is, when you really start to take off, in my opinion. And that's something that has been done at Toledo for a while, you know, well before I got here. Coach Cannell's done a phenomenal job of keeping that. I mean, he's got relationships with everybody on the team, which is pretty impressive because the head coach, that's hard to do. He knows everybody on the team. He knows where they're from. He knows their high school. He knows their family. Genuine relationship. He could talk to the worst player on the team or the best player on the team. And kids see that. And they know that. And they that's part of the reason why guys want to play hard for him because he has genuine relationships with them. And it's not fake, genuine, and he genuinely cares about obviously cares about him on the field, but he cares about him off the field too. And you know, and he wants us to meet with our guys weekly and make sure we're good on academics and all the stuff off the field as well as on the field, you know, you meet go over that stuff every day, but I think he does as good of a job with genuine relationships of anybody in the country, I'd say. In, in looking at, at how your career has advanced, special teams has been an important part of that. And um, I know it's, it's funny with some of the coaches I talk to and guys I've had on at, at the, the higher levels, you know, as coach, you know, what are we going to talk about? I really want to focus on, you know, being a, the, the part I do with the defensive backs coach. I really, you know, kind of want to do that, not be a special teams guy, but, um, I mean, I, I don't know if you're getting branded that way, Coach, but certainly uh, you've made a name for yourself in the special teams. In, in, in looking at that and how your career developed, uh, you know, is, is that a niche thing out there for, for coaches? How many guys really relish that opportunity of, of leading that unit? Because it's different than being, you know, an NFL co- special teams coordinator. That's all they do. I mean, you're still coaching a position, too, so you're on the mm-hmm. offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, for you, you know, what's, what's that role like? How important is it for you to, I guess, be known for what your work on special teams? Anything that's your job, you need to do it to the very best of your ability. Whether you think you should be this or think you should be that, whatever your job is, do it to the very best of your ability. And I didn't know anything about special teams. And then I got to Sam Houston and Coach Fritz was, he ran the special teams and he was like, Hey, you're going to help me out. You're going to coach the kickers, the punters, the snappers and you're going to help me out on special teams. And I was like, whoa, I've never kicked, I've never punted, I've never snapped, and I didn't know anything. But the one thing he told me is there's a lot of people that can go coach running backs, there's a lot of people that can go coach receivers, tight ends, DBs, but there's not a lot that can go do that as well as run a special teams unit. And he's right. And, you know, whether that's people just don't take the time to learn it or people don't want to do it, I don't really know. But it's certainly a niche thing, like you had said, to be honest, I wasn't getting the opportunity at Oklahoma State if 
you know, we weren't good on special teams at Sam Houston State, and I wasn't, you know, going to get an opportunity at Toledo to go be the tight ends coach, you know. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm not stupid. Coach Candle interviewed me to be the special teams coordinator and wanted me to make sure that I, you know, obviously tight ends are huge, and I take just as much pride in their development as I do special teams, but also he wasn't going to interview me as just a tight ends coach, you know. So having that niche has helped me open doors and, you know, as far as getting to this level and if you're a young coach out there, I would say, and you, and you want to get an opportunity, that's the quickest way to move up is, you know, have something that, that makes you different. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a million guys that could go be tight ends coaches at, at this level. And then you add special teams in there, you just cut that number in thirds, maybe even more than that. That kind of helps separate yourself, whether that's, Find something to make you different, I guess, whether it's recruiting or special teams or something. You got to make yourself stand out somehow. I think back to um, my first experiences. I came from the high school level, like you, um, did a little bit longer, but went to the college level. And in you know my first day on the job, we had Frank Novak in, who retired special teams coordinator from the Green Bay Packers, and I took like two and a half notebooks full no no kidding like two and a half notebooks full of notes on what he was talking about over the course of uh a day and a half and you know going in I thought you know hey we've been good we give it attention at the high school level uh you know I think I'm pretty detailed in my coaching but he opened up a whole different world the things I just hadn't thought about both from scheme yeah. perspective um, and especially from technique perspective, because I think you know, we make the mistake, especially at, at, at the high school level, of, of spending a lot of time on the guys who run, you know, all the mechanics of the punt and kick and all those things. So the snappers, the kickers, the holders, the, the punters. I, I mean, it is a specialized talent to be able to cover kicks, to block kicks, to be on return teams, etc. And it's uh, there's a lot of detail there. So. In that, I know you guys have been very successful, not just at Toledo, but wherever you've been on special teams. This year, you guys led the nation in block kicks and block punts. We're number one in return yardage, number 20 in average return. Part of it, yes, is because you have guys. But also, I know this, is that you're putting a lot of preparation into it. You're putting a lot of detail in it. For you, what are the key things to excelling on special teams and in, in the work you're doing both with your coaching staff and with the players? Well, you had mentioned technique fundamentals, and I think that that's oftentimes something that gets overlooked in special teams. You're not going to, you're not going to tell your offensive line to block that freak defensive end without telling them how to do it. You know, it's the same thing on special teams. You got to, make sure you practice the fundamentals of what you're trying to get done, especially in like spring ball or fall camp and early in the season. And you got to continue to coach the fundamentals and the details of that during the season as well. And, you know, and I wholeheartedly believe that I would rather be simple, maybe on a return unit, do two or three things really well, as opposed to be average on 10 things. And that's kind of always been my philosophy on that. You know, I think that starts with fundamentals and having your guys obviously execute all those things to the highest level of their ability, keeping it relatively simple. Your guys can get really good at the stuff you're trying to teach. And I think you've got to do a good job on special teams and those drills is evaluating the guys that 
that can do it and the skills you're asking them to do the techniques the fundamentals and all that and you know you got to have drill work to emphasize what you're trying to get done and you're you got to be able to evaluate who can do it and it's easy to say yeah our all conference safety or all conference corner those guys can well no doubt everybody knows that but like what about your twos and your threes who can help you in those roles and and their opportunity to get on the field and what can they do for you and you got to put those guys in position to do what they do well to me your scheme has to match what your players do well but i think you kind of find find out what they can do through drills and who can do it and who can do it really well and you know you kind of go from there but uh i think that's the first part you got to start in is doing some drills and competitive drills that emphasize technique and fundamental and kind of get your guys who can do it and who's going to give great effort on it. And then after that, you kind of go through the scheme stuff. But I think you got to master the technique and the fundamentals before you can expect to put in your scheme. Coach, what are some of those drills that you really like to be able to figure some of those things out, both from seeing that a guy has a certain skill, but also seeing him uh, really compete uh, to, to win that mm-hmm. job? You had mentioned punt return stuff, so I'll kind of go through some of that. One thing you got to do is you got to do drills where you're blocking punts, and you'll you'll either have a coach up there and do it, or you'll have you know maybe a second kicker or a second punter do it. But you you show them how to do it. You go over it in a meeting. You show clips of it being done right, and then you you have a drill set up where you got you know we'll use soccer balls to block kicks, so we're not like breaking any fingers or anything like that in a drill, but you got to see who can take it off the foot and who can take a great pass and stay off the punter and all the stuff you're trying to teach and key in the back tip of the football and the snap, like all the stuff you talk about. And then you go do it and see who can do it and who can't. And then you kind of know because blocking a punt is such a specialized deal. Not everybody on your team can do it. You could put me and not even block me right in the A-gap and I ain't getting there, you know. So you got to figure out, you know, typically you'll have a handful of guys that can – that have a niche for doing it and and then you progress you're trying to find ways to get those guys free to block a punt because not everybody can get there and you know you got to figure out by there try to find creative ways to get those guys free that you trust that are going to stay off the punter and have the ability and the um you know the juice to get there as well and then you're working on the the hold up stuff, you know, you're working on fundamentals of all that. We'll have a lot of competitive drills that we'll grade. And when, you know, we'll post like their record the next day, you know, I went against him and I won three, I lost two or whatever. You know, where you're working on the coverage and you're working on the return part and condense it. You know, you don't need to run 50 yards to have an efficient special teams drill. You kind of start them in phase and maybe do the last 15 yards of the coverage unit and grade that and put guys that you want to see against good players and see how they do in those situations. But I think you got to start at the basics and day one drills, just working on the base technique and fundamental of a holdup and base technique and fundamental of blocking a punt, see who can do it and then kind of progress to more competitive drills from there. And then you kind of weed out maybe a list of 60 guys, a list of, all right, these are my 22 guys I want, you know, and, and, you know, they can't all be starters. Everybody can go say, like, Cody Thompson, yeah, yeah, he could start on all four units for us, but he's also the best player on our football team, so you ain't getting him on four. <laughs> so figure out which <laughs> one's going to fight the head coach to get him on, you know, and, and <laughs> kind of go from there. And I know as a 
as a special teams coach, that's kind of the, the parameters you have to work in. And is there any kind of, uh, I guess, formula you guys use for how many units a guy is going to be on um, if he's um, uh, a starter? Different guys can handle different things. Like Cody, I mentioned, plays every play on offense and, you know, started on two for us this year, which is a lot of football. He plays a ton. Most guys can't handle that. I would say – and there's no, like, written rule in stone that Coach Candle has for us. And he's been really good. Like, if I go to his office and say, hey, I need this starting safety on the punt team, it's never been an issue. But when you're working for a head guy that's like that, I think you have a responsibility, too, to make the depth chart like you would if you were the head coach, you know. The easy thing for us to do is put your whole starting defense and, guys like Cody Thompson on offense on everything. That's an easy thing to do. But typically I would say at Toledo, most of our starters are on one. And we got a couple like, you know, Cody we mentioned and Tyson Anderson, Khalil Robinson, a couple other guys that are on multiple units, Reggie Gilliam. But uh, for the most part, most of our starters are on one. You know, going back to the punt, and I guess getting into uh, a little bit of the strategy or, or scheme, I know, you know, over the last several years, the number of formations that you see in from punt teams has just expanded. I mean, you see all kinds of, of crazy things, especially with guys who are using the shield or some of the rugby. I see a lot of guys with the shield now kind of spreading things out, creating overloads on mm-hmm. one side or the other. I mean, there'll be almost, you know, nobody in the middle there where there's these huge gaps. For you, especially with shield punts, since that seems to be one of the more popular things, what are some of the keys to, I guess, finding those opportunities to block a punt? And you guys were outstanding. You, you blocked six this year, number one in the country. I mean, that's essentially, you know, you're blocking a punt every other game where most or a lot of teams in the country blocked one or none. So um, you guys are doing something special there. Where, where, How do you find those opportunities with, I guess, all these different things and essentially what teams are doing with the shield where they see most of them being big guys there, the three big guys mm-hmm. and getting through to block a kick. There's a lot of creativity on the punt team these days. And uh, to me, the hardest thing to do on to get a return started is block a flyer. Most teams call them gunners. We call them flyers. You know, the guys, guys are moved. That's the hardest thing to do is win a single out there in space. So take a base formation, you got two of those. So you put two of your best guys in space that can do it, and maybe you have a guy that can double, kind of be off the ball, and maybe double somebody if they get free. But a lot of these teams on the punt team are splitting so many guys out. You got like four, three or four or five of those guys. You're not going to get a return. Like somebody's going to lose in space. Like mm-hmm. it, like we say, those are the hardest blocks. And if teams are putting all those guys out there, they're trying to make you fair catch or make you let the ball bounce and, you know, and, and, and you're playing into their hands. If you just go match everybody and be safe and have all these guys off the ball. And a lot of these, the mentality of these guys, a lot of the mentality is we just want the ball back. Don't screw it up. And I think you're playing into their hands. If you do that. Um, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be able to defend fakes and all that stuff, but how many fakes are teams running a year? really aggressive team three maybe most teams one or zero so it's like 
don't worry about the worst thing that could possibly happen. Like, go make something happen. And if teams are splitting out all those guys, like, you don't you don't really have a chance if you're playing safe. You're not giving your guys the best chance to be successful. And those guys are doing it because they're scared of the rush. So, yeah, you got to match the eligibles and you got you to gotta be sound against it. But we're not going to sit here and spend 10 minutes of practice time defending all these fakes that they probably – they may or may not run, like – we're going to be aggressive and we're going to play our hand of football the best of our ability. And I think against teams like that, you got to bring pressure and either if they don't bring guys in, you got a great shot to get there. And if they do, now you're making them play left-handed. You know, they're used to splitting all these guys out, doing all this stuff. And now you're making them emphasize protection and maybe you got a couple matchups out there. You can win. And now you got a better, you get, you're giving yourself a better shot to uh, get some returns. And, you know, to me, you got to be multiple in what you do on the return team. You got to, I believe you have to bring it once every game just to keep them honest. Because so many people, like you said, are splitting guys out, you know, doing a million formations. And they're doing that to try to make you be base and just not rush the punt. Mm-hmm. So uh, you got to, and the biggest thing is not everybody has that luxury. You know, Co- Coach Candle's on board that he, you know, he lets he lets me do it, and, you know, he, it, which has been good. You know, obviously, we did have one roughing this year, so obviously that's, that's a big deal, and that's something you got to coach through. But he's he's on board with it, and he kind of agrees with that, and he, he lets us do it. And another thing, too, is I know you mentioned six-block punts, but we've had a few of them off, like, hold-ups where we're trying to set up a return. It's just – think you always got to rush one or two really hard at the shield just to make them be sound and whether the you know one of them the punter dropped dropped it and then picked it up and tried to punt it real quick and we had a guy right there maybe if there's a low punt or you're able to split the shield you know so you have to send in my opinion at least one as hard as you can at the shield every time and then you know usually two or three but at least one no matter the situation is and I believe in that. That's something that – and we got a kid that – Reggie Gilliam, who's just the toughest kid in college football, and he's blocked four this year. And three of those four have been on where we're only rushing one or two or three guys, you know. And it's – yeah, you're trying to find ways to get him free in the A-gap or whatnot. But also, you got to have a guy that's physical at the point of attack and can do it. And it's about Jimmy's and Joe's, not necessarily X's and O's. And he's pretty damn good at it. When you're attacking the shield, you know, where where do you find the weak points to be? Is it something you see in the technique, um, you know, with, with your guys, the guy who's coming off the edge of those guys? Are you trying to do something to split those guys? I and mean, what's, for you at least with it's your personnel right now, how is that most yeah. effective? Well, it's a little different each week, and you got to judge their personnel too. Like you're always judging yours and find out, are they good at the shield? Are they soft? Where's the punter punt it? You know, sometimes if the punter is too far back from the shield, your best chance is to get it off the edge. If your punter's too close to the shield, then your best chance is to get it up the middle or going through the shield. So you just kind of got to figure out what their weaknesses are too. And that changes week to week. Another thing I think you got to do is figure out how are they protecting. And some teams, you give them this look, they're going to protect him, him, him. They're going to let those two guys go free to the shield. And Some teams are – mix up their protections all the time so you really don't know but 
you got to make your best guess to try to get your guys that you want to the shield to the shield. And then you kind of got to tell them what to do when they get there. And, you know, maybe you're fitting this gap or you're attacking this guy and you're off the edge. And, you know, they got to understand where the block points at. And, you know, if the team is a rugby team and changes a launch point, is there a certain indication you can give them, whether that's by formation or maybe, you know, a cadence too. You know, if they're sitting here the whole game and saying red or blue and blocking right or left, and then all of a sudden they come out and say something completely different or, you know, say Australia or whatever, okay, it could be a rugby punt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those, those are kind of things you got to give them. But I think you got to figure out where their weakness is and try to do your best job to put your best players in position to exploit their weaknesses. And to me, that's just kind of coaching on anything, really, offense, defense, special teams, volleyball, whatever it is. Well, you guys were also very good at, the punt return, 453 punt return yards, um, in addition to your six blocks, three uh, touchdowns. So you're doing well in that phase of it too, which, again, I think goes to preparation and coaching. You know, you're not just good at, at, at one thing. You're good at all parts of this unit. Do you feel some of that ability to uh, to block the kicks and have – essentially that guy you know you talked about is does that help you in the return game and I guess the other thing too with the amount of 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 shield punt how big of an advantage is it for you when essentially you only have to block seven guys because you got three guys who usually are o-linemen and tackling's not their thing and then you got the punter who tackling definitely isn't his thing so what kind of advantages do you start to look for there well yeah you were talking about the returns and you're right you use your blocks to set up returns and your returns to set up blocks. The biggest thing is, and this isn't, this isn't going to shock anybody. We have a dude at return who's really good, who could be the starting returner at some SEC schools playing in the Mac. That's the most important part. <laughs> you know, you got good players. So teams kind of, we had some success. More of our blocks came early, but we had some success early. And that kind of got teams to come in and, you know, tighten their formation, tighten their alignment. You can kind of manipulate how they're protecting with some of your good players because luckily for us, we've had three different guys block punts. You know, obviously one of them blocked four. Uh, Cody Thompson, another guy who I've mentioned a couple times in here, has blocked one for a touchdown this year. He also uh, has blocked two others in his career before I even came to Toledo. So he's been doing it for a long time. And, you know, you can – set up holdups, maybe you can get their best player, put him in, you know, put him or Reggie in that gap to make that guy block them, and he ain't just going to chip and go because he's scared of a block. He's actually got to be on the protection, so maybe that can keep their best player in for a couple extra seconds, you know, and that's another minor advantage you can have, and you know, and that's why I think you got to be able to move guys around throughout a game to not be predictable, but you know, also show that you're going to bring it and that you're going to hold up and try to make those as, looks as similar as possible. Um, it doesn't always work that way, but you want, you know, your stance, your body language, all that to look the same every time, just so teams can't free release on you. Uh, another thing that you got to, the biggest thing, I guess, you were talking about returns to us is vertical separation between my guy and the returner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you know a certain look, how they're going to protect, and you can tell your team, like, 
hey, this guy is going to step to his right. So you need to be here, be physical, expect this, keep him on a line of scrimmage as long as possible, and then kind of teach him trailing her ass and fitting some finish when you get down the field. But the biggest thing is the vertical separation and get the return started. Everybody's going to put their who they feel like is their best player in space and most dependable guy back there at returner. You know, we're lucky that we got one that's phenomenal. And, but everybody's going to put somebody that they feel like is really good back there. And we always tell our guys, that guy's going to make the first guy miss. And usually Deontay makes the first three guys miss. Um, <laughs> but the biggest thing is own the ball, no penalties. So if you got to call fair catch, you got to call fair catch and field all catchable punts. But uh, brain from a penalty because he's going to make the first guy miss. And if I can't, if I lose my guy on a line scrimmage and I can't midpoint him or I can't do a hit by when I get down there, pull off, find someone new because Deontay is probably going to make that guy miss. Just no penalties because penalties in the kicking game are they're not ten yard penalties. Those things can be like eighty yard penalties sometimes, you know. So like those are huge and those are momentum killers. And I think you got to coach through that and coach those situations. And to be honest with you, we did a poor job of that early. There's one game early in the year where we had a punt and a kick return called back, and both were the correct calls. You know, we just got to felt like we had to do a better job of coaching our guys on what to do if we lose the block and do a better job coaching them to make the block in the first place. That's something you're always working on. And if a guy loses on line scrimmage and he refrains from a penalty and leads up and finds someone else, you praise him in the meeting for it. You know, you see, you tell him how he could have made his block, but you also credit him for having the discipline to pull off a penalty and lead up and find someone else. And your, your returner should be able to make a guy or two miss if he's really good. Just like, on offense in the run game, you're not you can't block everybody on a run play. You just can't. You gotta depend. You block the most dangerous ones and your back's gotta make the unblocked player miss, whether that's a nickel or a safety or whoever. Kinda of same in the return game too, to be honest with you. Coach, before we got going, we were talking about one of the key stats you really like to look at rather than average return yards or, or those other types of things is is starting field position. Uh, and it's something you want to provide some great starting field position, you know, both ways for coordinators. So talk to us a little bit about why that, that stat is so key to you. Well, you know, when we do our self-scout stuff and kind of evaluate ourselves, that's the most important thing. I think, you know, the most overrated stats, at least in the kicking game, are average, punt return average, kick return average, and opponent kick return average. It's all about where you start. You could – if we wanted to lead the country in opponent kick return average, we could sky it, we could squib it, we could do that every time and probably do that. Now, our starting field position might be a 35, and it would probably be the worst in college football. But if you wanted to lead the nation in that stat, you certainly could. And there's certainly – I'm not saying you can't do those things. There's certainly times to mix up the location of the kick, and, you know, there's depending on the situation, there's times to do it. But, you know, I just – I think that's an overrated stat. I think if you're evaluating yourself, you need to look at the starting field position, in my opinion, and on kickoff, kickoff return. And I think if you look at us, return against us on kickoff is in the middle of our league. But, you know, we had one sky kick this entire year. So I think you trust your guys. You trust them to go make a play. And, you know, it's your responsibility as a special teams guy to play to win playing not to get beat you know kick it deep and try to tackle them inside the 20 and 
You know, if they get a good return of the 28, it still beats a squid kick or sky kick, you know. So I think you got that. You To me, especially, yeah, you have that responsibility to be aggressive and, you know, do what's best for the team, not necessarily what's best for those numbers. And on the same thing on the return unit, you know, any good team who – any team that's really good in the return game, and especially kick return, may not have a great average just because – Teams are going to squib them. Teams are going to sky them and that type of stuff. Their primary returner will probably have a good average. So if you want to judge a team on that, you can look at who their main returner is and see then. But Gus, we had some success early, and then we saw a lot of sky and squib kicks. So know exactly where we are on average kick return in the country. I think it's in the 70s, but no, on starting field position, we're in the top 10. And that's how I would judge us. That should be the NCAA's official stat, in my opinion. Right. But you know, the same thing with net punt and opponent net punt, you know. That's how I would judge you. And if you got a really good punter who's averaging 48 yards a punt, your punt return against you is not going to be great. And But your net's going to should be really good. Those are the most important stats if you're judging those units, in my opinion. Right. Well, Coach, uh, you guys are doing a lot of great stuff there at, at, at Toledo. What would be one thing you would point to and the things you do as a coach that you really feel gives your guys or your units the winning edge? I think the biggest thing in special teams is getting guys to buy in and having it be important to them. Because the guys you sign aren't necessarily they're, – they're not coming to Toledo to go run down on kickoff. fully understand that. But you got to find ways to get those kids bought in and – the biggest thing is it comes from your head coach. And best thing for us is our head coach is involved in it. He sits in every meeting. He's coaching it on the field. And he's talking about the importance of it in team meetings. And after games, you know, the first thing they'll talk about is, you know, special teams, how he thought we did. You know, and your kids see that. And if you don't have a head coach that isn't on – or you don't have a head coach that's on board, you don't really have a chance because your kids will see that too. And that's the biggest thing is if you're a coordinator, even if your head coach isn't involved, just go ask him to at least sit in the meetings. And it doesn't matter if he knows what he's talking about or not. Luckily, our guy does. But even if he's just in the meetings and coaches him on the field, they'll see it's important. And then you got to find creative ways to keep them engaged in meetings and make it fun for them and make them want to be on it and glorify the good things. You know, you can't just go point out all the bad things. you got to – glorify the good plays in front of their peers and make them want to do it again for you. I think that's, you know, just getting the guys to buy in and having it be important to them and play hard is the biggest thing. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time with us. Uh, How can our listeners connect with you? Uh, I would just say they could hit me up on Twitter or email or at Robbie Disher. Pretty simple, my name, R-O-B-B-Y-D-I-S-C-H-E-R. We'll include Coach's contact info. His his email is on the Toledo website, but we'll include his contact info in our show notes. Uh, Coach, best of luck to you uh, as you head towards early signing day and getting ready for the Bahamas Bowl. So best of luck to you guys in all the things you're doing and in 2019. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you having me.
Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski and check out our new website at coachandcoordinator.com. There you will find the show notes to the episodes as well as some articles that we've written and we're going to have a lot of content over there for you. Again, that's coachandcoordinator.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes and click five star for rate. If you have a minute, please write a review. It really helps and I love seeing the feedback. Thank you.